Good morning, Zubin, and welcome to the Local Paleo Show. Good morning. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So, um, good morning, Mark. How are you today? Wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful. Can't complain at all. And you know the rules. There's no point because no one listens when you complain. Right. So, wonderful is it doesn't mean you're full of wonder? Yes. A lot of people look at me and go, I wonder. No, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Zubin, your friend uh, Chris Kirsten suggested we talk to you about your line of Union Stakes products. Um, thank you for coming on our show. Super. And quickly, your background, you are the co-founder and CEO of Union Snacks as, uh, with your wife, Caroline. And um, seems like you're wearing many hats. So without going too deeply into detail, can you tell us uh, about your professional background before Union Sachs? Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I probably am doing too many things at once. It's a problem I have. But uh, so I, I originally am from upstate New York. Uh, I've done a little bit of everything. So I started uh, in finance as an M&A investment banker, uh, mostly focused on consumer products, healthcare, and technology. Um, then I did uh, about three years of private investing um, in large leverage buyouts in the U.S. and Europe. Uh, moved from there to do about 10 years of early stage tech investing and operating uh, and realized I loved building businesses, loved being in sort of the startup atmosphere, just was never crazy about technology. Um, we live in New York. Uh, my wife's family, both my brother-in-law and my, my wife, um, have both sort of trained as, as chefs. Um, and so we're foodies at heart. And so I transitioned uh, about six or seven years ago into the branded consumer space. Um, and since that time, I've been operating mostly in food and beverage uh, with a little bit of incubation where we develop our own brands. We make some investments in some businesses. Um, we do some consulting and advisory work. But the overall sort of goal is really to, to better the food system and to create better products. Um, and to do it in a way that positively impacts the environment. So that's kind of where we spend most of our time now. Cool. So I'm um, just curious because I've noticed uh, there's a business called Born Wild Business. Um, is it a different line of products? No. So what? So Born Wild Brands is essentially our holding company or incubation arm. Um, my yeah. wife and I are the co-founders of that. And so through Born Wild Brands, we incubate individual businesses um, Union okay. is the first, and then we have a we have a children's beverage that we're doing next year, and we're looking at some other opportunities as well. But it's basically our incubation business. Okay, cool. So, um, what gave you the idea to start Union Snacks, and um, kind of uh, how it happened? Yeah. It, so the basic idea was I was the CEO of a company called Nourish Snacks for a couple of years um, as I was transitioning from technology into food really just love the space, love the people in it. Um, a lot of it is folks coming together that are trying to create better food for people. And it's a very collaborative and positive environment, even with your competitors, which has been really great. So it was a great transition for me personally. Um, as we were, as I was transitioning out of that role and my wife and I were talking, she was just coming out of culinary school and we were talking about sort of what to do. The, the two things that mattered most to us were one, we wanted to positively impact the way food was made. So as we were thinking about developing a company, we wanted to focus on really changing the way food was made on the ground at the farm level. And that's sort of the big, you know, sort of support of regenerative agriculture, which we can come back to. Um, and then the second piece was, if we were going to do that, 
and, and you think about sort of what regenerative means, how do we create differentiated products that are unique in the marketplace, that are taste-driven, that are ingredient-driven, that can allow us to tell the supply chain and sourcing story so that we ultimately are creating products that are, are better for the planet and better for you. And so that was kind of the driving force. Um, so when you break it down a little bit and think about regenerative, you know, the way we think about it, and this is the idea of union, is it's a union effectively of man, animal, plant, and earth. And you're sort of focusing on regenerative agriculture. And so we took that same concept of plant plus animal and created it on the front end. So when you look at the snack space broadly, there are folks doing all sorts of really cool, innovative stuff. But for the most part, it's you know, either meat-based snacks or plant-based snacks or things that are focused on nuts or things that are focused on grains or things that are focused on chocolate. And so for us, you know, we tend to eat a little bit of everything. Uh, and so the real idea was if you want to create sort of an elevated snack experience, let's, as, as opposed to being sort of exclusive, let's be inclusive. Um, and so we took a, a direct approach of it's a union of plant and animal. And so that, that was sort of the driving force on the front end in terms of creating products. The, the challenge with it, of course, is that when you're combining multiple things with different water activities, it's very tough to get right. So it took us about two years to get to the point where we have products that we're comfortable with, but we're really super excited about it. And, uh, and the reception's been great to it so far. Right, right. And so uh, we'll talk about your products in a little bit. Um, about your company, Union Snacks, I'm curious about your slogan, Unity is Plural. What does it mean exactly? So for us, uh, it's everything is about you know bringing things together. The simple idea of one plus one equals three. So when we we talk about you know integrating with our sourcing and supply chains, and we talk about our products, and we talk about just generally creating a brand that's about bringing things together, our whole view is that when you're tackling a problem or trying to solve something, if you can bring more people in. Uh, you're going to get to a better place. So it's about inclusiveness. It's about unity. Uh, it's about bringing things together. Um, and that's kind of the underlying purpose of both the brand and what we think, you know, we're trying to bring, you know, broadly beyond sort of food and stock products. Okay. Uh, so in that case, we have, uh, you combine animal protein, vegetable, and I guess people. Th that, that's the correct. Full side of things. That that's correct. That's correct. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, can you tell us about the connection with the Savory Institute's land to market program? Yeah. So, as we were coming up with the concept in our really early phases, two two and a half years ago, um, we knew we wanted to support regenerative agriculture and build a brand from the ground up that was focused on it. So as we were doing kind of our preliminary research, uh, now it's probably three years ago, um, I came across the Savory Institute and kind of what they were doing around holistic land management and building sort of hubs across the country. And, and this was even before they had the land to market program. And so I had reached out to Chris Kirsten, who you guys had spoken to, who's, who's just an unbelievable, uh, he's, he's a real sort of force uh, with respect to his knowledge base, his passion. Um, and so we had we had a couple initial calls and sort of connected, talked a little bit about what we were trying to do. And initially, it was him making connections for us to a number of regenerative farms across the country, where as we were thinking out our concepts and building our supply chains, we were able to sort of visit and talk to a number of these farms and really gain an understanding and education uh, beyond what we already had of what was happening. So that was kind of where it initially started. And then as we talked a little bit about, you know, our goal was ultimately, so you have all these farms in you know, smaller regional areas. And ultimately to drive demand, 
we wanted to create a brand that raised awareness around the concept of it so that ultimately if we drove demand, we could increase supply, which would have a positive impact on the environment. So we were talking about these things and, and they, they were going through sort of an evolution where they had built, you know, 30 years of history with hubs across the world. And now was how do you take that message and bring it to the consumer? And so their land to market program was basically a similar concept. Um, and they had a number of like-minded brands, uh, many of which are, are large, prominent brands doing amazing stuff. Um, companies like Epic and Applegate and Zooks, um, and now Eileen Fisher and then Caring. And so we were kind of early in on that alongside some of those brands. And it just worked out really well to have a you know, not-for-profit partner that had built sort of the 30 years of history that had the great relationships that was doing this on the not-for-profit side and then to align with brands to sort of deliver that message to consumers was was pretty awesome. And so we were one of the frontier founders of that program and are uh, incredibly passionate, enthusiastic about it uh, and just really amazing people doing really incredible stuff. We're super excited about it. Cool, cool. Um, can you name some of your uh, partners on the food side? like farmers and suppliers? Yeah, we, we have a, a number of them. Um, it's companies like White Oak Pastures down in Georgia. Um, uh -huh. We have two smaller farms that are unbranded up in, uh, in, uh, in Rhode Island. So it's, it's a number of different folks. What's interesting about the regenerative side is that we probably have developed relationships with 15 to 20 farms, but it's not necessarily a turnkey, you know, hey, you develop the relationship and you order the meat and that you're up and running. So it's a long-term process. So I mm -hmm. think there's a number of different farms that we have been engaging with, but are not quite yet sourcing from. And we're also just launching our brand. So the short answer is there's a couple of names, but we can probably give you a lot more names uh, in the next couple of years, frankly. But we, we view this, and I think this speaks to the point. This is ultimately, you know, as we think about the next steps of our lives, this is something that's going to take 10, 15, 20 years. And we're committed to doing it because we, we think that the change that will come about is, is meaningful and necessary, frankly, for the, for the next generation. So, Right. So speaking of which, how do you see the future of regenerative agriculture? So I think that, look, I think in the current environment, um, there's a lot of movement towards, you know, hey, don't eat meat because, you know, 99% of it isn't done properly. So you see a lot of sort of plant-based stuff, a lot of vegan-based stuff. And, and certainly I think on the moral side, people can make their own decisions. Um, but I think there needs to be more education around the fact that you can actually eat meat and you can have a positive impact on the environment. And regenerative is something that's it's been around, but it's only come into sort of the you know, broader zeitgeist really in the last two, three, four years and really in the last year, year and a half. Uh, so I think as there's increasing awareness around the fact that you know, if you mimic nature and go back to the way that things used to be and should be, and you practice holistic land management and you rotate crops and animals and you have things work in unity, um, you can create more nutritious food. You can have, you know, you can sequester carbon in the soil. You can create stronger organic matter within the soil. Uh, and if we get more and more people to do that, not only can you then go out and, and eat both plants and vegetables, uh, you can do it and feel good about the fact that you're having a positive impact on the environment. So I think that's really the message, but the education piece is, is really early on. And so I think sort of leading edge consumers are starting to get it, but it's going to take 
you know, multiple brands and multiple people. And it's going to take a constant education, certainly on our part, amongst many others, to get that message out so people get it. But once they do, we think um, people understand that you, you can eat meat and you can, you know, support these farms that are doing really incredible things. And I think what Savory has done that's really neat is it's one thing to tell the story and that people understand it, but they've applied sort of ecological outcome verification to it in a database platform. And so rather than us just telling this sort of pretty story and showing great pictures, by actually adding a data piece to it, you have sort of a little bit more concrete proof around, hey, this farm is doing X, Y, and Z, and look what's happening. And the more we can get that message out, the more people are going to understand that this is really incredible stuff. And, you know, this perhaps, I'm going to make a grandiose statement, but this may perhaps be the way to really think about saving climate change. Agriculture is the second largest contributor to global warming. And here you are, you have all these, you know, amazing farmers doing incredible things. And if we get more people to do it, more people to, to understand it and support it, we can have a net positive impact on the environment. And, and by the way, you're eating better food. So that's kind yeah, of the, uh, yeah, the dream and yeah. mission. The perception out there is that when you work with smaller farmer and uh, typically the cost of England is more expensive. Is it possible to build a company uh, with uh, sourcing ingredients um, that are more expensive and then turn around and make a profit doing it? So, so the short, it's a great question. Um, the short answer is I believe so, but I think it, is it a challenge? It is. But I think again, that this comes back to the education piece. It's our broad based view that the consumer, particularly today's consumer more so than ever, cares about how their food is made, where it's coming from, and the impact it has. And so if you can educate the consumer and tell that story properly, they are willing to pay more for that product. So I think it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we educate the consumer to tell that story, to make them understand why they should be buying this product versus that product. And if we do that, we think we'll have more success in certainly selling a slightly more premium product. Um, So I think inherently by utilizing regenerative meats and things like that, your product is going to be more expensive, but we think the consumer will pay for it. Um, And again, the real goal over time is to increase the movement and increase the supply. And as we increase the supply, because we've increased the demand, we'll hopefully be able to lower prices over time as well. But we believe so strongly in sort of the importance of it that we're willing to sort of, you know, take that challenge on and, and educate the consumer around why it makes sense to do this. Right. Um, aren't you concerned that your product would be seen as a luxury program, uh, product and then and, uh, access only the, like the higher rank or income level of, of people and that would limit your, your um, access to consumers? It, it will be a slightly more premium product, but it's not going to be much more premium than traditional organic natural. Um, okay. That said, that you know, that said, organic and natural, you can make the same argument that it caters to sort of the the one percent or the five percent or the three percent or whatever it may right. be. And I certainly think that you know, will our initial consumers be much more in that subset? Probably. Um, yeah. But again, if you we're not taking a three-year horizon, we're taking sort of a 10, 15, 20-year path. And if you think about those things and you create enough sort of supply and demand and you create an interesting enough product, um, we think that we can get it to the point where the price points are mass accessible. 
Um, and to, to put some perspective on that, so on, on a bar, on our, we have a, a product called a trail mix square, which is our version of a bar. Um, when you look at the ingredients in it, for the most part, there's no filler ingredients. So everything is a whole earth, real food. Uh, right. That's probably going to be at a two ninety nine price point. Um, bars can be anywhere from sixty nine cents to sort of two ninety nine. So we'd certainly be on yeah. the premium price point, but we think that's mm-hmm. driven by the ingredients, and so it's a question of what you want to eat. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, personally um, using Epic products every day when I'm, you know, driving around. So I know, and that's my protein source. You yep. know, while I'm while I'm working, because that's my lunch basically. Um, uh, to make a, a point regarding your, uh, you heard about Serenity Baby Food, right? Yep. Okay. I was a little cautious about the ability for them to grow and expand because it is definitely a premium product and 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 um, a fairly narrow portion of the market, babies, you know, moms, but I was proven wrong because they are highly successful. So uh, that probably should uh, make you feel better about your the future of your <laughs> product line. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think I have the same doubts you do on that end. Because um, look, at the end of the day, the, the, the food market is massive, right? The organic natural market is massive. Right. Um, there are all types of people doing amazing innovative stuff and frankly there are lots of times where we see brands come out with something and we're like you know that seems like a real niche product i can't imagine someone's going to buy it and and next thing you know they're doing 30 million dollars um so i think that there's opportunity right you have to create what what is true is that the market is competitive you have Mm -hmm. to create things that are accessible enough to create a big business and you have to create differentiated unique innovative products I think if you can do that um, and have a real authentic story and a mission behind it, uh, there's lots of opportunity. Right. Well, good. I'm glad you're, you're more positive than I am. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just being cautious because I have been in the food business for 50 years and I've seen how some incredible uh, ideas uh, just flop because consumers are not following. You know, they're not yep. picking up on the concept. They are not getting the regenerative agriculture concept. They're like, oh, this is all talk. And so uh, I'm always a little more, um, you know, I'm not saying you should, obviously. I'm just like making sure that you, you obviously, you know your market and and you've been in business and finances long enough to know what you're doing. So it, it was just a question on my part, you know. I, I think it's totally fair. And I think the one thing I would say is, you know, the, the mission and the concept is great. But if you don't fundamentally have a product that tastes good and people want to eat, none of that matters. So I think that, you know, and, and I, I think I said this earlier, one of the interesting things for us is that we always knew that this is what we wanted to do from a mission perspective. We have a seven-year-old child and we wanted to make sure that whatever we did had a positive impact. Um, the reason it took us two and a half years, frankly, to get to a point where we had products was, doing that concept and creating a product that worked that had the right texture and flavor was challenging. But we knew that as much as the story was interesting and people may like it, if you don't have a good product, no one's going to, you know, no one's going to support it. So um, that, that hopefully is a change of grace. Obviously you haven't tried the samples yet, but once you do, uh, yeah. hopefully you'll feel the same way. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be convinced once I try. Um, I'm being a chef. I'm very taste oriented. If, okay. the, if the taste doesn't please me, then it's not, 
not going to work for me. As, <laughs> as most customers are super, I mean, you can always tell, um, especially with little kids, you can tell them that spinach is good for them. If they don't like the taste, they're not going to eat they're it. They're not going right? to eat it. That's right. Same with customers, right? Yep. Um, yep. Back to your products. Uh, I must admit, what I've read about your products is very interesting, intriguing combination of flavors. Um, can you describe them to, so you have like, um, I don't know how you you call the little round thing is, they look like truffles, but they're, they're not. Yeah, they're, they're bites. Um, bites, so okay. What, what, what I can do is I'll go through sort of three sets of products that we have currently. Um, yes. And so I'll start with the, the trail mix squares. So the mm -hmm. trail mix square, which um, essentially is a, a little square package, it's sort of our version of a bar. Um, what that is, is it's a combination of meat jerkies, nuts, nut butters, seeds, and dried fruit. And so what we're really trying to do was create a more savory version of a bar um, that had mass accessibility. And, and by, what, by that, I mean a texture and flavor that, that really was approachable to the mass audience. Um, and so what we did is when we did that, what's interesting about the savory concept in a bar, at least from our perspective, is that people, you know, 95% of bars, just a multi-billion dollar market, um, tend mm. to be on the sweet side. And yeah. even though folks that want savory say they want savory, one of the things that we sort of witnessed was that there's a small subset that's eating savory bars, and there's a number of good companies um, that are doing it, but there's never been sort of this mass sort of product. And even when, when your, your mind sort of tells you that you want something savory, you're, you naturally go to a bar and you're assuming it to be sweet because you've always been programmed that way. Yeah. So, so as we were creating the product, we went through multiple iterations. And the big sort of transformational moment was by including nut butters as an underlying sort of balance to it. It gives it a residual underlying sweetness. And so yeah. ultimately, it's a savory bar with a tiny bit of sweetness to it. And now it doesn't have that sort of same mind game. And so texturally, it's closer to a, you know, a kind bar than it is to, to perhaps an epic bar. And then right. flavor-wise, because we have a combination of jerkies a little bit on the sort of savory side, fruit on the sweet side, um, each bite that you get is a little bit more different. There's multiple textures and multiple flavors within it. Uh, and it's something that the example I always use is I travel quite a bit and I go through in and out of airports. And when I go through an airport, I'll typically grab a bar, I'll throw it down, I'll have 200 calories and 15 grams of sugar, not satiated. Next thing you know, I have another and all of a sudden I've had 25 grams of sugar. This bar in our minds uh, forces you to eat a little bit more slowly. And so yeah. it's better for you from a physical perspective. Um, and you know, certainly the taste and texture I think is done really well. And we think it's a fairly unique product. So we're, we're excited about it. So that we're just launching um, now. The, the second product that we have is... Um, is uh, our line of charcuterie crisps. Um, so okay. we, we developed basically a, uh, a proprietary process with in partnership with a company in the UK. Um, essentially what we're doing is, if you can imagine a traditional charcuterie board where you would slice cured meats, if you had a salami or chorizo and you slice it, you throw it on. Um, yeah. People love charcuterie boards and meats. Um, we've created basically a proprietary process to take those slices and create them into a chip-like format. So essentially, it's a, uh, a protein-based chip based out of very clean, simple ingredients. Um, it fits within the – so we're not necessarily focused on, on diet, so to speak. 
but that product because it's primarily you know meat salt um, and whatever variants it, it fits within paleo keto and things like that and I think unlike a lot of products in that space it's really taste driven so we didn't necessarily create it to sort of you know solve a need there but we created a product that we wanted to eat ourselves and it happens to fit within a number of diets that we think will do quite well um, what's unique about it is it's a it's an 11, 10, 11 gram protein sort of per serving chip, meat-based. Uh, and it's equally at home in a backpack when you're hiking or mm. if you want to have it with a glass of wine. So it's sort of a, it's sort of a unique oh, okay. interesting snack. Like uh, and, with and an fairly, aperitif. Yeah. With an aperitif, it, right. With an aperitif. And, and frankly, it works really well on a charcuterie board. So when we make a charcuterie right. board now, we're traditionally putting out a couple cheeses, a couple sort of traditional cut salamis, and we'll put these out. And you can actually dip these in mustard. You can dip them in, in cheese, and uh, they have a really nice crunch to them. So that's kind of our right. second product. And, and then our, uh, our, if I may, um, yeah, please. As a Frenchman, uh, there should be some kind of a cheese included in those, uh, you know, <laughs> this this traditional charcuterie with cheese, right? And of course, bread. But we'll we'll skip the bread for now. Um, the, is there a way to add a little cheese to uh, some of these to make them a little, I was going to say cheesy? <laughs> yeah, they, they, there absolutely is. So we've started primarily with the um, what I'll call the charcuterie crisps. But right. uh, we've got some things in the works that will include uh, cheese as well. Because we're, you know, we live in New York and so we like to do a lot of wine and cheese. Yeah, so, there you go. Uh, Great, mind. <laughs> Great minds think alike, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and the third one, I'm sorry. Oh, and the, and the third product is our line of bites. So we had softly launched a line of bites in a few stores uh, about a year ago. And what we found is we couldn't, we, they weren't quite ready, um, just mm -hmm. from a textural perspective. So right. what you've now seen on our website is a little bit outdated. We're updating that at the moment. Um, we're going to redo those bites to be more consistent with kind of our trail mix squares. And right. the goal is to create sort of multi-textural bites that are easy and sort of a single, you know, unit to sort of pop in and out. Um, and it's sort of, a, it's sort of a slightly different eating occasion than a traditional bar, but we think there's a lot of opportunity there as well on the savory side. So we're, we're just, redoing those currently. We anticipate launching them at some point next year. You just need to dip them in dark chocolate. <laughs> We've looked at moments <laughs> to enrobe them. Um, I think the challenge with that is that, now you're adding yeah. a level of complexity with various. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to create self-stable products, and when you're right. using multiple ingredients with different water activity, it's tough. Yeah, I, I realize chocolate will melt if it's at room temperature, so you have to refrigerate it. And if people right. carry it in their bag, they're gonna have a mess on their hands. So, right. No, I was just joking because they look <laughs> like truffles. They, they are like truffles to some degree. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Um, so would you say that your products are geared towards the paleo and keto diet fans? So broad-based, the brand is about balanced nutrition and you know a unity of sort of plant and animal. And so I think that we will have products that work for everybody, and we will also have products that work for the paleo keto group. Um, mm -hmm. The brand itself is not specifically designed for that, right. but the charcuterie crisps, which we talked about, we think are actually a perfect product for that, for right. that subset. Um, mostly because I think, you know, when you look at that, those two diets in particular, from our perspective, uh, there's a massive growing population. There's a lot of um, highly passionate fanatical consumers behind it. And a lot of what we've tried isn't necessarily taste driven. 
Um, it fits within the, hey, you should eat this because it's meat and it's got X grams of protein, but we've dried it out and it tastes like cardboard. So I think that right. the charcuterie crisps certainly are, are very taste-driven. I think they'll work really well there. And so mm. for that subset of, of consumers, we think uh, would be really great. So I think that you know, long, long term, we, we certainly will have products that, that work for it, but the overall goal of the business is not necessarily focused entirely on that area. Right, right. But you know, technically, from what you've told us so far, I'm saying protein, I'm saying fats, you know, uh, yep. I'm saying vegetable, all of this is paleo and keto uh, friendly. Um, also, uh, what about the low carb section of the market? Is that there, we, we fit we fit within that too. The only okay. thing, so all of those things are right. Um, the one thing I would say, like as an example, in our trail mix square, um, when we cure our jerky for it, we actually do utilize sugar in that case. And, and mm. that's partially driven by, we could create that product and have it be paleo or keto with no sugar, but it wouldn't have the same flavor that it has today. And right. so in some, so we will make choices as a brand that try to get to the healthiest place or that fit within certain where trends are going, but taste is paramount for us. And so there will be moments where we're okay with a little bit of sugar here and there um, because yeah, yeah. we think it, it translates into taste. And so when I look at our trail mix squares, you know, they're between six and 10 grams of sugar. Uh, right. So it has sugar in it, but when you try, right. hopefully when you try the flavor, um, we think it's justified. So there will be cases where we won't necessarily fit within keto as an example because of right, that. Right. And that's a choice okay. we make. Well, as long as people know it. Uh, and sometimes I see uh, products, uh, you know, advertising themselves to be this, to be that. And um, I like the, the fact that you're a little more, maybe a little more rounded and less uh, specific because then you would potentially restrict your market doing that. 100%. And, and that's the goal. Yeah. And again, I think, right. you know, when we come back to this elevated snack experience, um, we give ourselves flexibility to include a number of different things. And so, you know, over time, I can envision doing a number of different products, some of which would be paleo, some of which would not. Right, right, right. So um, moving along on the, on the actual launching the product, are the products already out? Are they in stores? Are they available besides being online? I couldn't yeah. see a way to buy your products on the, on the <laughs> website yet. They're, they're, not, they're not available in market yet. So okay. we're, going, we're going to market with our trail mix squares and the charcuterie crisps um, starting in December. And that will be both uh, via e-commerce uh, on our own website, Amazon, and a few other partners. Um, and then we're going into a, a number of retailers kicking off sort of in December, January. Mm. Well, I'm sure you have, uh, being in the finances before, you have experience with uh, retail and distribution and all of that. You? We we do yeah we've been doing it for five or six years uh, but you know that said no matter how much experience you have it's challenging and tough <laughs> yeah yeah I mean yeah a friend of mine is going through that right now and it's like it's like pulling pulling teeth or pulling hair um, at this point are you considered to be a startup um, are you I mean might as well I mean we have exposure to some people out there are you looking for investors. We are. So we are, um, we are a startup. Um, we've been in development for a couple of years. We've, we've taken a little bit more time than most to get the things, products right. Um, we, we, we think about this on a long-term horizon. And so uh, we're now ready to launch and pretty excited about it. I think you know, the brand has been ready for about a year. The product took about two years. Um, mm -hmm. We're currently about to go into a fundraising. So we're probably going to do sort of one more 
you know, what I call sort of friends and family round, and then thereafter uh, we'll start to raise institutional capital. But we have a you know a pretty large sales pipeline right now of folks that are really interested in the product and the brand, and so right. I think you know we'll, we'll raise some capital basically go to market and take it from there. Sounds great. So um, currently, if I understand right, the only information about your products will be on your website. Is that right, or do you have other? We have we're, we're on our website at unionsnacks.com, and then we have um, our Instagram at Eat Union, our Facebook page at Eat Union, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of those things. So that's currently what's available online. Um, and then you know, obviously, once we get into store, uh, we'll have a lot more sort of content and marketing that we'll support it with. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, Mark, your turn. Excellent. It's been interesting to listen to, I must admit. Now, are those packets you've got behind you, are they just dummies for a presentation or do they have product in them? Those are, are uh, dummies for, uh, for prototypes, but would you like to see the product? Would that be Yes, please, yeah. Yeah, yes, please. so um, hold on. I don't personally. I don't think they're dummies. They they do very smart. Um, so can you see that? Yeah, yeah. So you can hold hold that, it up more like yeah, more like that. that it's probably easy. That basically is the charcuterie crisp. So okay. what that what that essentially is is again sliced chorizo that we've um, that we've created sort of a proprietary process created chip. Right. It it will break and snap in half. And what's right. really interesting about it um, is when you put it in your mouth, the initial sort of mouth feel is like a, a chip or a crisp. But mm -hmm. once you actually break it down, your mouth resatiates the fat. So it feels right. closer to chorizo in the back end. And then you'll get like mm. a big bite of paprika um, at the end. And uh, they're, they're positively addictive. So that, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, that is that product. And you, then, uh, you, you sold me on it already. Yeah. I think you'll like it. it. They've been really well received. You you get the crunch, which a lot of people really are. Oh yeah, uh, taught to you know with crisps and and, and crisps is a the English version of chips in chips, in America. Correct. Yeah, so people like the crunch, and then uh, like yeah, I like the way you describe the transition into mm. flavor. Yes. Yep, and then um, the second product is our Ultramix Square, which I'll just open up to show you. Maybe you should show the package as well. Is that oh, the yeah, definite? Sure. Is that so, the so definite package? This is yeah. This is what it's gonna. It's pretty close. Is it's gonna look ninety nine percent similar. So this okay. is the chorizo crisp, and and then again, yeah. this is what the crisp will look like. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, and yeah. just to show the back. Right. So and then um the the second product which we talked about, which is sort of our trail mix square. So this is our version of a bar. Uh, unlike uh -huh. a traditional bar, it's it's shaped in a square. Um, so what this is from an profile perspective is you'll you'll see it's mm. it's really it's I'm ingredient it's ingredient driven so what's really it's it's a pretty beautiful product we think mm. but you'll see you know elements of pepitas of duck turkey of walnuts uh, this one also has mandarin oranges in it so this one that we'll appreciate is a, a duck l'orange mm. so a traditional oh, kind yeah. of french recipe um, you'll get again a little bit more savory than sweet, but you'll get elements of, of orange as the predominant flavor. But right. it's it, it looks closer to a kind bar than probably an epic bar, mm. just from a. It looks, looks very nice, very appealing actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, did, you put so a little, uh, did you put a little Grand Marnier Cointreau in it? <laughs> um, you, you might have to provide that yourself, but I'm sure it would work quite well with it, actually, because it has a nice strong orange flavor, but uh, yeah. we didn't at the moment. So okay. that's, uh, that's the basic idea of that product. And then the, the bites, which we talked about, will be this similar aesthetic in sort of a round shape. Right. Okay. Excellent. So you've obviously got plans to roll those out in uh, North America. What about over in Europe? The goal would be to do that eventually. Um, you know, as we're starting out right now, I think the focus is really, you know, focus on the U.S. and, and build sort of distribution um, and to get the product out there, build brand awareness, make sure people like it. Uh, and then over time, you know, certainly we'd love to take it everywhere. Mm. Super job. Now, you, you said that you work with Caroline. Um, yep. How is that working with the other half, as it were? <laughs> it's a great question that I think people get all the time. Um, I think, look, it, it's amazing because you're building something together with somebody you love, but I think it has its challenges too. And I think for us, um, the two things you have to figure out is within the business itself, we tend to compartmentalize things and you know, each kind of do our own thing, which helps. And then certainly finding sort of a work-life balance is challenging. You don't want to be in a position where you're always thinking and talking about the business. Every no. startup goes through ups and downs. And, uh, you have to be able to separate those things. Uh, and, and that frankly is something I'm not great at all the time, but working on it. Um, right. But uh, yeah, but it's, it's been fun otherwise. Excellent. Now, what, what does Caroline do? Because she's got quite a culinary background, doesn't she, with all the sort of the diplomas and so forth that she's been doing? Yeah, so she's, um, she's a foodie at heart. She's got a culinary background. Um, she does a little bit more of the sourcing and focusing on the supply chains and focusing on regenerative and, you know, goes to a number of those conferences and is constantly learning and educating and getting herself sort of behind that. Um, she will help sort of with, with development and tasting. And then we're a bit of a family business, so we also have my brother-in-law who was a, an untrained chef that worked at a couple of Michelin star restaurants. Um, he actually is working at the facilities right now doing a lot of development work as well. Mm. So it's a, it's a family business in that sense. Uh, and then I do most of the sort of you know sales and marketing and then brand building and development. From there. Excellent. So at the, the sort of at the end of the day, who decides or who sort of gives the go ahead for various tastes and flavors and textures to to <laughs> come out of the other end of the factory? I I think it's a collective. Um, you know, certainly as we were developing products, some of our flavors are a little bit more unique. They're not straight out of the box. And so we had to we had to test a lot of different things. And there are times, for example, that we all agree and then we have people try them and people are like, oh, no, not really feeling it. So it's a combination of, you know, all of us internally getting on the same page and then testing the products out and making sure it works. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what we think or feel, the market will decide. And if it does well, it does well. And if it doesn't, we're going to have to retrench and sort of reset. But I think, you know, given where we are right now, we're fairly comfortable that the reception has been really good. Excellent. Can I sign up as a taster? <laughs> <laughs> we are absolutely going to get you products to try them. Right. And I, I very much look forward to the feedback. Um, right. I very much, given, given your background and, and uh, experience, I, I, I can't wait. Right. Of course, Alan gets all the good stuff. Because, I mean, being yeah. stateside, he gets all of the samples yeah. sent to him. <laughs> yeah. And all I get is, oh, you should try this. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll be sure to send you some samples as well. That'd be very sweet. Thank you very much. <laughs>
Excellent. So you've you know you've been working this business for a number of years now, and I guess you can't wait to sort of see the products come to market. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I think you know anyone who builds something from scratch, you know whether it takes you six months or, or two and a half years, uh, it's a lot of work and effort. And I think you know the two things that'll be most exciting for us is walking into the grocery store and sort of seeing your own product. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that would be kind of a first order thing. And then the second thing that I really can't wait for is to have a moment where you're sort of walking down the street and someone's eating your product and saying, oh, I really oh, like this. You know, that, that's, that, that'll be pretty gratifying. Um, yeah. So we're pretty close. So hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll start to experience some of that. But we're, we're certainly very excited about it. Super job. Now, I'm sure you know, already you've, you know where you're going to go for the next round of different types of snacks. Any hints there? <laughs> Um, we have, so we've, while we were developing the existing products, um, we've certainly tested a number of different things. Uh, I think on the charcuterie side, um, Alain was, was talking a little bit about cheese and some incorporation there. And so there's certainly some things that we're thinking about there. Um, on the bites and trail mix square side, we're reformulating the, the bites as we speak. So those will come out next year. And then when we think about you know, next sort of steps. I think initially it'll be focused on sort of flavor extensions before we go into line extensions, and then we will look mm. at line extensions thereafter. Um, on the flavor side, I think what's interesting is that with both the trail mix squares and the, um, the bites, we have, you know, beef cranberry or sweet and hot pork or, or duck l'orange. Um, each one of them is sort of focused on what is a traditional meal, whether it's French or American mm. or Asian. Yeah. And we can expand upon those in almost any direction. So whether it was Vietnamese or Thai or, or Indian or whatever it may be, um, those are all possibilities. I think we first need to establish the brand and then go a little bit more into some of those niche areas. But uh, we tend to be pretty adventurous with our eating, and so we're probably going to be pretty adventurous with our flavor choices. Right. Super, super. Well, that's all of my questions. Alan, back to you. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? No, I, I thank you so much for having me. This was a, a real joy. Um, I really enjoy the stuff that you guys do, and we're happy to sort of showcase our brand, and we look forward to getting the products out and certainly look forward to your feedback from the samples. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you again, Zubin, for being on the Local Paleo Show. And as we say in Texas, à votre santé, y'all. There was a glimmer of a smile there, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Just a smirk, a smirk. Yeah, just a smirk, yes. Lovely chatting with you, Zubin. Thank you very much. Thank you.